Good morning. Let me open with something you do not care about. 22 years ago, I was your associate pastor. Yeah, I heard old people say something. I see you. <clears throat> nah, but it's great to be here with you. I'm sorry I wasn't able to make it last year, but something was going on that complicated things. I don't know if any of us remember it last year, but... Uh, but hated not being able to be with you last year and happy to be here with you today. And I love the interaction that we've been able to have between our two churches over the years. Your drummer this morning is one of our drummers from New Start, from my church, uh, Mitchell Jessup. He's one of our three drummers. Um, I did a mental health series in February that I would not have been able to do without Eric Browning, Troy and Krista McNichols, Angela Stanley. They were all a part of that series and made it what it was. Uh, so I was happy to be a part of that. I'm glad to come here and preach annually. In August, I have Kelly Rush coming to speak at New Start. And uh, my mom and dad were here a couple times when she spoke here, and they'd just say, hey, you, you got to get this lady down to New Start to speak. She does an incredible job. Uh, so I've enjoyed that partnership that we've had over the years and, and uh, look forward to celebrating more of that. It is at least once a month. I'm Troy's brother, by the way. It is, at, it is at least once a month that I'll be in conversation with someone that's a part of my church, and midway through the conversation, I will sense a little tension in their voice. I'll sense a, sense a little tension, a, a little dissatisfaction with me, a dissatisfaction about something about me, and I'm, I, I promise you, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not making this up. Here's how I break the tension when I, when I sense that happening with someone that's a part of my church. I say, hey, uh, stop right there just for a second. I want to explain something to you real quick. My brother pastors an awesome church in Mount Vernon, and I can make you a promise. He is the pastor you wished you had, <laughs> but you don't. You have me, and uh, I, am, I am not nearly as nice as he is. And uh, he is a much better pastor than I am, and, and that generally lightens it up enough because they know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> Those of you who have known Troy and myself over the years, am I telling the truth? Yeah, he's a, he's a much better guy and pastor than I am, and uh, so that, that always gets us through. But he does let me come here and speak once a year because you don't have to interact with me personally, so it works out really, really well for him. Uh, on April 8th of this year, I flew to Guatemala City, and dropped off the remainder of the money for the water project that you guys are doing in Guatemala and Seychochoke and that New Start is doing in Seychochoke. We were there together in 2018 uh, doing the work that we did that year but also looking for what we could do to fix the water problem that they had in that village and it was for us to supply uh, 2,500 liter water containers for them and you guys are doing it right now. It got put on hold last year because of that thing that was happening. I don't even speak the word anymore. Uh, it was put on hold because of that, but I was on the phone with Damaris a couple of weeks ago uh, through WhatsApp, and she said they are being ordered and will be delivered in the next two to four weeks, so sometime in August or September. You guys will have pictures to show, show on Sunday morning to where 78 homes have received 2,500 liter water tanks and filtration systems that will literally change the life of that village. And every single penny of it from new life came from your Christmas offering last year. You remember when you guys gave your Christmas offering? 
You are changing people's lives this month because of it, and we're, we're grateful for that. It makes a humongous difference in their lives. It's not just about water tanks, and it's not about handouts either. All of these families, since we were there and New Life was there in 2018, these families have been saving money because they have to buy into the project to be able to get one of these. It's not a handout. It's around $220, if I remember correctly, to get one of the water systems installed at their house with the holding tank filtration system. Uh, and they have to save about $65, $68 somewhere in there to be able to buy into that because it's not a handout and it's coming through the local church of the Nazarene there so that they're getting economic development and, and personal development, health development alongside from the church of the Nazarene and say Chochoke that you guys were a part of help uh, building what we built there. So thank you. Six, I'm going to guess, I'm just, because Central American time, instead of telling you three or four weeks, I'm going to tell you six to eight weeks, you guys will be getting pictures on the work that you've done there and changed lives. But that's not the reason I was there on this particular trip. On April 9th, we made the nine-hour drive from Guatemala City uh, through the mountains of Guatemala to the village of Chicajala. And Chicajala is one of the uh, poorest parts of Central America. And the average household income, now I want you to follow me on this. There's going to be a couple couple stats in here. $5 a day. That's a 10 to 12 hour work day, manual labor, farming, generally for someone else, $5 a day. That $5 a day is the only income produced in these homes, and that $5 a day income is what has to support all of the people and the mouths that need to be fed in that home. So to survive through the month of October through January when that farming work is not available here in the mountains of Chicahala, most of the men from Chicahala have to migrate across the border into Mexico, to Tapachula, Mexico, to work 10 to 12 hours a day in the coffee harvest to make some money so they're gone for four months when work's not available in Guatemala, to here to work on the car coffee harvest, and then they come back home and begin working on their harvest. The average family size for this $5 a day is six people. Six mouths to me feed on $5 a day. So those stats, the grinding reality of life for 22-year-old Marvin cannot be revealed by those stats. If we Next slide. The, the difficulty of life for Marvin, 22 years old, can't be expressed just in those stats that I gave you. Many families in Chicahala eat one meal a day. Just simple corn, tamales, or maybe boiled potatoes, and that's it, one meal a day. And 22-year-old Marvin was the only breadwinner for his whole family since his father died from alcohol abuse. Now, you can imagine living in such an impressive economy your whole life and having that many mouths to feed what the lure of alcohol abuse could be for some of the men there. And Marvin's father passed away from alcohol abuse, so now, at 22 years old, he is the breadwinner for all of those mouths. Marvin would go to soccer early in the morning because he's an excellent soccer player and had the potential of making a professional team. And then he would work all day like everybody else, farming. But Marvin was such, so good and had such a good work ethic, he made $6 a day when a lot of the other men were making $5 a day because of his work ethic. And with that $6 a day, he had to support his mother, he had to support his two young sisters, and he had to support his older sister who had had a child and support the child also. So it is hardly surprising in that context 
why he decided to try his luck on the treacherous journey to America by joining one of the caravans in Guatemala that you heard about this January. When you'd watch the news and see that uh, caravans were forming in Guatemala to begin making their way to the part of the United States, Marvin joined one of those caravans, and he wasn't alone. From this village, three others with him from San Marcos and Chicajala went with him. One of the th four people that went on this trip uh, was his uncle, Edward Lopez. Edgar Lopez was 51 years old, and he is the brother of the woman in yellow there on the right, and her name is Epifania Lopez de Tema, and she's the pastor's wife of the Nazarene church in Chicahala, and her pastor as the husband is the one pointing. Pastor Tamas is the one pointing out the families to me. He's pointing around those mountains to, to huts and pointing out to me some of the people who have accepted Christ recently and had become a part of the Chicahala church of the Nazarene. That's pretty cool right there, huh? So why would Marvin and his uncle Edgar join a caravan in Guatemala to cross the border with coyotes, human smugglers leading the way? Well, Marvin there on the left, his reasons were clear. He made $6 a day. He had to feed and care for a bunch of other people who were not able to have any economy to take care of themselves. And he had been told, and throughout these mountains, people were told that if you arrive in the United States, you'll get free housing, free food, free education, free health care, and work that pays well. And all Marvin wanted was to work. That's what he wanted. But he wanted to get paid more than $6 a day for the work that he was doing. He wasn't looking for handouts necessarily. He just wanted to get to America and have a life to where he could make money. He also had reason to believe this was a good idea because in the 22 years of his life, as you drive through San Marcos in the village of Chicahala, about every, every now and then you will see one of these huts that is significantly, if not two to three times nicer than all the other huts. It might actually have tin on the roof. It might have a concrete floor. It might have a little addition built onto the side of the hut. And the reason you see these houses that are nicer than the others is because through the 22 years of his life, there are people from San Marcos and Chicahala who have made it to the United States illegally, got work, and are sending money back to family members there who over the years have been able to have a better life because one of their family members made the trip to America. So in his 22 years, he had every reason to believe this was the solution, that this was the idea. His uncle beside him there, his uncle Edgar's reason for joining the caravan in January was different than Marvin's. He was trying to get home to America. He lived in Jackson, Mississippi for 26 years. He came to the U.S. illegally in 1993. He has a wife and two children in Mississippi. And when they raided the factory where he worked in Mississippi for all of those years, for 26 years in 2019, Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents raided the chicken factory where he worked. 2019 was the last time he seen his family. He spent a solid year in America in an ICE detention facility before he was deported back to Guatemala. So when he got to Guatemala, where he had not been in 27 years... He went to be with his sister and brother-in-law in, in Chicahala and became a part of the Church of the Nazarene where I'm sitting in that same picture with my iPad out 
taking notes, listening to the people who have accepted Christ through these mountains, through the work of the Church of the Nazarene, but also listening to the story of his brother-in-law with his sister sitting behind him, the story that I'm telling you today, taking notes. One of the questions I asked as I was spending this time in Guatemala, and I, I would ask the locals, is, is why join the caravan? Why are people willing to go and, and, and join the caravan with the dangerous trip that it can be? Well, the first thing I discovered is this. And listen, guys, there is no political statements being made in here at all this morning. We're talking about what we as a church can do to change people's lives. So if you hear a political statement, that's your problem, not mine. I'm not making any. The first is this. People are told throughout these mountains, when you arrive and join the caravan, you will be given $100. Now, you make $5 a day just for joining the caravan, you will be given $100. What they don't tell them is that when you get and join the caravan and they hand you $100, they tell you, do not spend that money. You're going to need it to cross the border. They'll give you the $100 and say, don't spend this money. We'll make sure that food and water is provided for you on the journey through Guatemala and through Mexico. And when you get to the border, you're going to have to give that $100 to someone to be able to cross that border illegally because the people who control those passageways are going to get paid $100 for every person. We don't know exactly where this money is coming from that's paying each person $100 in the caravan, but what we do know is it is coming from political operatives in the United States is who's funding it. And then the cartel uses cartel gang members to actually run the caravans up here, and it's a cartel, it's a gang member, not, necess working, not necessarily a part of the cartel, but it's a gang member who's under the c control of the cartel, who's giving each person $100, and then they're leading the caravan with the coyotes to the United States. Another reason to join the caravan is not just the $100, but when you live in these mountains and all the stories you've heard and the houses that you see around you, it is the fastest way to work that pays. The promise of free while you get on your feet and can be one that gets a job and starts sending money back to home. Some of you will remember this story from the news in January 25th of this year, and I heard it the first day it came out and began following it. And I'm going to read you an article from January from BBC News. And I quote, Police found two burnout vehicles on Saturday, and initial findings indicate that 19 people were shot and set on fire. Next slide. Violent drug gangs operate in the area where migrants also try to cross the border into Texas. An official said the victims may be undocumented migrants. The northeastern state of Tamaulipas is known for violent killings and disappearances often linked to powerful car, uh, drug cartels who battle for territory. The Mexican government is fighting what it calls a war on drugs and its security forces have previously been accused of detaining suspects who later go missing. In the latest incident, the bodies were found near the town of Camargo on the border of the U.S. Uh, in uh, state of Texas. Autopsies are underway, but the Tamaulipas State Prosecutor's Office said that the poor condition of the remains was complicating the procedures. An investigation has begun to determine if the people killed were migrants traveling from Guatemala to reach the United States. Officials have contacted the Guatemalan consulate authorities in Mexico to provide the necessary information and try to identify some of the people believed to be Guatemalan migrants, an official told the AFP news agency. In recent weeks, 
A group of about 7,000 people had been traveling north from Guatemala to find a better life in the U.S. Every year, thousands of people from Central America attempt to make the long journey on foot to the U.S. through Mexico, many fleeing poverty and violence. Drug gangs often extort money from migrants traveling through their territories and run, people's, and run people smuggling operations that take advantage of people's desperate wish to reach North America, close quote. Pastor Tamas and his wife, Epiphania, found out finally in February that four of the people from their village in the Church of the Nazarene in Chicahala, including Marvin and Edgar, her brother, were four of the 19 people executed in that van, towed to another location, and then set on fire. Senseless. And, and why did this happen? Well, we don't know exactly why this happened, but it's one of two reasons. The coyote who led them on this journey was from their area. They knew him. He was from the San Marcos area. There's a possibility that he saw an opening in the passageway. He knew how to get people across the border illegally. Maybe there was an opening that he saw where the cartel was off of their game and he could get them through and keep the $1,900 for himself. Another possibility is over the years, this area has been controlled by the Zeta cartel, and in recent uh, years, the Gulf cartel has been trying to take over this area from the Zeta cartel, so it's possible that the Gulf cartel stopped these guys and tried to get the $1,900 from them, and the coyote said, no way, the Zeta cartel will kill us, we're not going to do it, and maybe they were killed by the Gulf cartel. Maybe he tried to keep the money and they were killed by the Zeta cartel. We don't know why they were killed, but what we do know, it was either over $1,900 or over territory dispute. So they find this out in February, that Edgar, her brother, and Marvin were killed that day. In March... Twelve Mexican state police officers were executed for the, for, were arrested for the execution of these 19 people. Police officers working for the cartel. Same thing as either over the $1,900 or the police officers were working for one of the two cartels and had a reason to strengthen their territory by killing these 19 people. So 12 police officers pulled over your fellow Nazarenes, executed them, towed them to another location and set it on fire to try to hide the fact of what had happened. So on January 24th, when I was on stage preaching the final message to my church in Delaware, preaching the final message in my series, The Truth About Your Trials, Your fellow Christians, your fellow Nazarenes, Marvin and Edgar, were being murdered by the Mexican police on behalf of the Gulf or Zeta cartel, most likely, for territory or $1,900. Well, I'm preaching to the people of southern Delaware County, who are the luckiest people in the world, second to those of you who live in Knox County, on the truth about their trials. Your fellow Nazarenes were being executed. In Genesis chapter 12, 
verse 2 and 3, God made a promise to Abraham that extends through to us here today. God was telling Abraham on the screen, I will bless you for your faith and you will be a blessing to others. The whole world will be blessed through you. Let's read it. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This passage is most directly about Jesus. That through the lineage of Abraham, the Messiah is going to come. That's what this passage is primarily about. But it also contains another very important meaning for us today too. Have you ever thought about this promise to Abraham? That this promise being that Jesus would come, you realize Abraham was never going to be the recipient of Christ on the cross when, when God was giving him this? That his, his next generation wasn't going to be recipients of Christ on the cross? That his next generation wasn't going to be... So when the world is going to be blessed through you, yes, it's going to be through Jesus, but it also meant something to Abraham and his descendants of that day. He's saying, I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with health. I'm going to bless you with income. I'm going to bless you with economy. I'm going to bless you with all of these things, and then you are going to turn around and be a blessing to the people around you. This passage that you're looking at on the screen is not a descriptive passage. It's one of the questions we want to ask ourselves when we're reading something in Scripture. Is this just a description of what was going on at the time? So, for example, in Acts where they say as the first day of the week is there in the custom doing, they preached all night, basically had a church service all night, guy fell asleep, fell out of the window, was killed, you know, then they go down and heal the guy and all that. And what you're reading is a description of it. It doesn't mean church services need to run till midnight until someone falls asleep and falls out the window, right? Or is it prescriptive? Is something being said here that is contained in Genesis through Revelation and applies to me today? The answer is yes on both meanings. The coming of the Messiah, you are blessed through Abraham. And also, as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you are blessed with anything it connects all the way back to this promise not for you to keep unto yourself but to be a blessing to others let me fire hydrant you with some scripture this morning Deuteronomy 15 11, for there will never cease to be poor in the land therefore I command you you shall open wide your hand to your brother to the needy and the poor in your land Psalm 37 21 the wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. 1 Timothy 6, 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You see, in addition to the Messiah coming through the line of Abraham, he's also telling them anyone who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ is going to be blessed, and those blessings are to come out of your life and directly into the lives of other people. So with a tragedy like this one, what can we do about it? On September 1st of 1999, when I moved out of Mount Vernon and moved to Delaware County and began the work that would take two years to get to where we got the church open, one of the commitments I made during that time is that we were going to change people's lives, not just in Delaware County, but around the world. 
I don't know why that God asked me to start a church in Delaware County. It's one of the most well-to-do counties in southern Delaware County anywhere. And I just made a decision that as we start this church from scratch, that we are always going to be a blessing to other people. So in 2008, New Life began your work in La Carbonera, Nicaragua, alongside New Start. And we began serving and working together. Let me tell you, for some of you who are new to New Life, let me tell you what you have joined and been a part of. From 2008 to 2016, New Life sponsored over 100 kids in La Carbonera, Nicaragua. You were a part of taking literacy for children from 0% literacy in this village that by the time we were left, it was 100% literacy for everyone who participated in our program. You guys built a multi-use church. You built classroom buildings. You built a parsonage. You opened a health clinic and a pharmacy. You built a walking bridge over the river because the river cut them off from the other town's economy in Somoto for six months a year when the water was too high to be able to cross it safely. You built a walking bridge over that, which completely changed the economic environment of that entire area for about five villages. You built multiple houses. You funded a microloans program to where people who had land that they could access but didn't have the money to farm it could borrow $75 to $150 per harvest to get what they needed. And then when they sold their stuff after the harvest, they would use a portion of it for themselves. And then they would pay back the loan with a 10% flat fee to keep building into that. Well, in 2018, New Life moved your work to Guatemala with compassionate ministries of the Church of the Nazarene, and that's how we ended up in Sechochok, and that's how the water project has been developing over these two years. That's the church that you're a part of. That's the church that you're engaging in. I want to give you another example of the type of work that you guys are doing and will continue to do in Guatemala in the years to come. On the next slide, I was at a meeting in Guatemala about something else a, a, another year, and I looked outside the window and saw all these faces, so I went around and took a picture and saw all these beautiful skirts that these women were wearing. Some of the poorest people in the world wearing some of the most beautiful clothing that you're ever going to see, there they are standing there in that. And the reason is, is because these are handmade on wooden looms. If we'll go to the next slide, this is how... These skirts are made, and it's part of the culture down there. When you get off your cruise ship into port, and you go walking around the shop, and you see these beautiful fabrics, this is where they're being made. This is how they're being made in the mountains across Central America and these poor villages. This is where they're being made. And there's no reason to feel bad about that. Buy them. Empty them out. Let them buy more because that helps keep that economy going. But this is how they're made is on wooden looms. The reason I was there with Pastor Tamos is because Damaris had contacted me back in February or so and said, Greg, I know New Life is going to want to be a part of these types of projects. I know New Start is going to want to be a part of this. Would you come down and see what's going on? Come hear this story. See the work that Pastor Tamos is doing in this area. We don't come along and help people who wouldn't do it without us. Over the years in Nicaragua, in Guatemala, we're only doing work for people who are going, man, we're going to do this with or without help, and we're going to figure out how to do it. That's exactly what Pastor Tamas has been doing. Let me tell you, for the people who left 
because of $5 a day. What he is doing as a pastor of the local Nazarene church to change what's going on in his community. Let me give you an example of just one project here on the next slide. Pastor Tamas has been working without help from anyone to figure out how to do this, but he's discovered 13 families within his church who are willing to learn how to do this. It cost about $250 to buy a loom, but he found a guy in their community that can build a loom for $160, and this creates work for him. He's found 13 families, 13 families, $160 a loom, $2,080. He's working with someone from a, a nearby town that knows how to teach people how to weave fabric on a loom and is contracting with him for $100 a month for four months to come into the village and teach these 13 families how to make these skirts on a loom. And the results are this in short. This is one Nazarene pastor trying to make a difference in his community. Hey guys, it's not about church services. This morning is a celebration of what's been going on in the life of this church all week. It's not a box to check. Amen? For every one of you who's coached in your sports program, who's worked in your children's ministry, who's served somewhere, has done anything like that, that's what it's about, and that's exactly what this pastor is doing. He's just looking at his community and say, how can we as a church make an impact on people's lives exactly like you're doing here week in and week out? And this is one of the ideas that he came up with. And working in the fields gets these families $80 a month. Working on the loom gets them $300 a month with a third-party contractor to where a third-party contractor supplies all of the fabric, or not the fabric, supplies all of the thread and supplies the things that you need to actually make them. And then we'll come back at the end of the month, pick up all of the skirts that have been made to take them to the port where your ship is going to dock and they're going to buy them. And the third-party contractor sells them there. But these families can make $300 a month. All they need is the looms. And this pastor figured it out. On the next slide. One of the most important things about this this morning is this. You have been doing this for years. This isn't a pitch this morning. This is a celebration that there are tragedies going on all around the world. There are difficulties and tragedies going on right here in Knox County in people's lives. And when a local follower of Jesus Christ when someone a part of a local Nazarene church says, what can I do to alleviate suffering around me? You are fulfilling the call of Abraham. You're being a blessing to others. When you pay into your world evangelism fund as a church, you're doing these types of projects all around the world. The Church of the Nazarene is doing these types of projects all around the world through compassionate ministries. You're participating in that. You're participating in it locally through what you do here, and you're participating in it globally. So today is a celebration for everyone who has been fully engaged, whether it's been for the last 22 years since I walked out of this church, or whether it's just been in the last 22 weeks that you've become a part of the life of this church. When you actively participate, and when you're actively engaged, you are fulfilling the promise of Abraham and making a difference in people's lives piece of good news I have to share with you is just dates. I just confirmed the dates a couple weeks ago 
that New Life is going to be able to go back to Guatemala on a work and witness trip in 2022. The dates are June 20th to June 29th. We don't have the project set up yet. We don't know what we're doing yet, but we just I've been working with Tom, Duncan, and Troy uh, to get the dates coordinated between our two churches where we can go together again as we've been doing for years on June 20th to 29th. So just mark those dates on your calendar and hold them open if you're able to. We don't know what we're doing yet. We don't know what the number limit of people will be uh, because of that thing that I can't talk about that I refuse to use the word of. Uh, waiting for all to see what all happens there. But mark those dates on your calendar because you're, you guys, again, are going to get to be a part of it. So celebration today, but also what's really, really important to me is to challenge you. If you're sitting here this morning and you're in a situation to where you're in the process of disengaging from the life of new life, let me tell you something. Whatever the reason is, that no one around you even realizes it, but you're just starting to disengage. You've, you, you've stopped giving as often. You've stopped participating. You, you, you've slowly stopped serving, and you're, you're just disengaging farther and farther back. Whatever the pull is that's pulling you away from that, I want to encourage you to address it this week because you don't want to miss out on the next 20 years of this at New Life. You don't want to miss out on what God is doing through this church. You don't want to miss out on that. You don't want to be separated because of personality rub with someone or a clash in some type of way or a disagreement about how a direction of ministry is going or, or what the new worship leader that starts tomorrow sounds like. Where is he? Is he in here? I hope he left. Pristine vocal, man, dude. Wow. I texted Troy during the thing. I was like, that dude's vocal is fire. Anyway, uh, but if, if, if you're disengaging in any way, I want to encourage you to address whatever it is. If, if you don't know how to go about addressing it, ask someone from my number. Contact me this week. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you objective third-party engagement on, on how to address whatever the issue is that's causing you to disengage. Here's what I do know. It's almost never the reason people tell you. Almost never the reason people tell you. That's normally about the fifth layer of the onion. I can help you get to the first layer. Feel free to reach out to me. I'll, I'll help you with that. And really importantly, if you just haven't decided to get engaged into the ministry and the life and the giving of new life, I hope this message today will be a challenge to you to go, man, there's nothing I'd rather be a part of. I want to have an impact in this world that lives beyond me. I want to follow that promise that God made to Abraham that when I accepted Jesus Christ that for the rest of my life, regardless of what I'm going through, I'm going to be a blessing to others. So this morning, right now, it's 1129, so it's 929 there. Pastor Tamas and his wife Epiphania are leading church in, in Chicahala, Guatemala, and I guarantee you her heart is heavy mourning the murder of her brother by Mexican police and the cartel. Guarantee it. But in the midst of her tragedy, she's doing something else. She's teaching Sunday school in Chicahala, Guatemala this morning. In the midst of whatever you're going through, we still turn around and serve. Amen? Amen. Let's get engaged this morning. Let's stand and pray. God, we thank you so much for what Pastor Tamas and his wife are doing and the work that they're doing in Guatemala. And we pray for the heavy heart of her, but also the hearts of those in this room who is dealing with some kind of grief 
some kind of trial in their life right now. And that trial, uh, the enemy's actually using that to cause them to disengage when you want the exact opposite. That we need to engage more deeply into the relationships that we can trust. And we want to be engaged, God. We want to get involved. We want to get fully connected into the life of the church through serving because we don't want to miss out on the promise to Abraham that you will bless those who follow through with that promise of being a blessing to others. And we celebrate it today, God. We celebrate what you've been doing for, for uh, a few decades now through the life of this church. We celebrate it. But what we look most forward to is seeing more and more people get fully engaged in serving and giving and being a part of what you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning is just a symbolic representation of what New Life is doing everywhere and how important it is. I encourage you to get 100% fully engaged. Amen. Don't run off and hide.